from National Securities Corporation. It's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. On today's podcast, we're going to be speaking with Einar Knudsen, who is the founder and CEO of AGR Partners. He also oversees the investment strategy for their investment objectives. AGR has invested over $200 million in various agriculture-related sectors over the last four years, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to hear from uh, one of the leaders in investing in the sector, sort of get his thoughts on where we are and, and, and where trends might be forming. Einar, thank you very much for agreeing to, uh, to join us on this podcast. You're welcome, Ivan. Good to be able to catch up with you. I uh, apologize I'm on the uh, road here, driving into uh, Central California to the World Ag Expo, where there'll be probably like 100,000 people there. But uh, anyways, uh, good to catch up with you right now. Well, it sounds like someplace I should I should be heading. Um, you know, I know I think a good way to uh, start off this conversation is for the folks listening just to get a, a better understanding of, of your background, how you got into agriculture, and sort of the evolution into uh, AGR Partners. And then I have some questions to get your thoughts on on where we are in the uh, in the sector, where trends might be forming, and just have a general conversation with you over the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes. How's that sound? That sounds great. Um, well, as a little background, I, uh, I've been investing in the food and ag industry for the last 25 years, and uh, I was back in New York with Rabobank uh, for a decade, and we recognized during that period that there was great uh, public and private companies that wanted to access capital and, and sub-debt, equity and sub-debt, to uh, assist them in their growth plans, and uh, I formed that investment uh, plan about 18 years ago and left uh, 16 years ago to set on this journey. So, uh, um, and as you mentioned, uh, we've invested $200 million in the last four years. With, uh, with what I found over that period is that with agriculture and food and farmland, you can get a uh, solid return. Uh, if it's farmland, you can get you know, low single digits. If it's kind of standard, if it's row crops and, and value-added or specialty crops, you can get the high single digits, the low double digits, and when you go after companies in the value chain that are doing processing, then we can end up with a mid-teens IRR uh, and in some cases 20-plus uh, percent IRR. And so my focus is more around the food processing and the agriculture processing, and it's uh, a later-stage growth uh Strategy. So we're focused on companies with more than 100 million in sales, rising checks. Uh, our check size is typically around 50 million, ranges from 25 million to 200 million. So that's our focus. And I targeted the last part of your question was, um, I think, was 
was around the uh, trends and what we see happening and where where are the hotter spots in this sector that where you'd like me to go now. Yeah, you know, I, I I participated in an ag conference here in New York, and you were one of the keynote speakers, and you gave a great presentation on uh, the title of Dead Canaries and Black Swans in Various Ag Sectors. Um, you know, I found that to be really fascinating on some of the topics you touched on. I was wondering if you could briefly just, just discuss that a little bit and what you meant by sort of dead canaries and black swans um, and, and sort of how that translates into how you sort of navigate the, the various uh, agricultural sectors. Sure. Um, well, that's a uh, terminology I've used because it helps just to kind of label um, what we see on the horizon. And uh, the canary is the canary that's in the coal mine. That's your warning sign. And if you see a few canaries, they usually give you an indication of a potential event that's uh, a major trend shift or a major positive or negative event um, that's called a black swan out of, uh, out of some various books that you can read about. But, uh, you know, an example of that would have been the global financial crisis with the black swan. Uh, the canaries were, were the events that happened previously, like Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns Credit, credit Fund that blew up a year before. So we had plenty of canaries that led up to the Black Swan, and uh, I managed money for someone that made uh, a billion five from the big short. And uh, he um, and I were talking about how we're so bad at uh, valuing and pricing in events that take three to five years that were so good at pricing in shorter-term events like quarterly earnings. And this was a framework I developed to help me keep track of these longer-term trends that are happening. An example, like when the energy bill passed uh, and corn was only three or four percent of corn was going into uh, biofuels, um, corn did not reprice when the energy Bill passed. You had uh, options that were years out, trading at three, three fifty. Corn eventually went to eight plus dollars, but it took several years to go there. So we're really bad as humans if you price in events. Uh, for example, today a canary would be uh, Trump is elected. Um, it could be a positive canary or a negative canary, but the black swan would be um, positive or negative. A trade. Uh, change in tariffs that would drastically change. Um, some some will benefit, some will be hurt from it. So we have to look for you know the first canary is trumped in, uh, and with an agenda to change trade uh, policy. The next canary would be the the policy changes. The actual companies or commodities won't reprice based on. Uh, on that event, um, they'll reprice later, um, so the, the black swan is the event that can happen multiple years later. You know, speaking of the, the, the Trump administration, there's been a lot of uh, changes in, in a short period of time. As someone who manages capital, you're, you're closer to the pulse of, of agriculture as you actually oversee companies that you own. It, what, what What's going on in the... Uh, in, in the in the industry in which you're invested, uh, as it relates to their response to the uh, 
the exiting of, of the, the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership Agreement um, and the sort of impending farm bill that's on the horizon. Uh, lot, a lot of unknowns out there as it relates to policy. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. Uh, I would say right now it's business as usual because people uh, haven't seen enough of what the changes may be or if there will be changes. The actual uh, backing out of the negotiations on the TPP uh, has not impacted any sectors in the food and ag industry that I'm aware of. But uh, I think it's we're going to have to wait to see what occurs, but I think that, you know, the benefit in most cases are, you got to get very specific. I mean, if you're, let's say, um, if you're in a, uh, I'm just trying to think, you know, for example, dairy industry, 85% of dairy products plus are domestically consumed. So dairy industry is, you know, not really focused on that. Um, so if you have to get specific where if you look at some other industry sectors, two-thirds or more of some sectors are exported. So clearly much more sensitive um, to what will happen. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the sectors in, in agribusiness that seems to get a lot of attention lately at uh, the area of farmland. And, um, you know, I... I I've heard the argument that farmland is sort of an inflation uh, inflation uh, hedge, um, and it's been witnessing. I've been I've been seeing new capital come to the asset class from various pensions and endowments that um, have never invested in farmland but are expressing interest to either get in or to learn more. Um, why do you think these these large pools of financial capital are are looking to uh, to consider this asset class in U.S. farmland? As you know, I focus more on companies, but you know, just even in my own personal portfolio, uh, I think that it's good to have uh, assets that are inflation protected. You know, for some people, that's uh, real estate; uh, others, it's gold bars. For me personally, it's uh, farmland that I have in my personal portfolio, and I think that uh, institutions have realized that same thing: that farmland is a excellent uh, uh, asset to have in a portfolio that is uh, positioned well for a world that's printing a lot of money. And uh, I would rather own things that the governments can't print. And we have record uh, balance sheets by all these countries printing money. And it's possible that uh, as what has occurred in prior periods where we printed a lot of money uh, in the 30s and in the 70s, uh, we saw over the prior de subsequent decade where your purchasing power of your dollar depreciated substantially. Our dollar can only buy 10 cents uh, of what it used to be able to buy historically, depending upon how far you go back, it's even less. So if you had been in farmland or gold or hard assets, real assets, they were uh, well positioned for uh, defending against the monetary policies that our government and other governments are backing. So if you're a country or a pension with a substantial amount of um, 
uh, dollars. I think that many of them would rather have real assets uh, than dollars that are going to be appreciating in their purchasing power. Mm, that's an interesting view. Yeah, you know, speaking on, on your side, on the operating side, um, you know, I see a lot of smaller, when I say smaller, I'm, I'm just deals and sort of the sub uh, 50, 50, 50 million uh, enterprise value. Um, and I sort of see the production side of ag uh, as highly fragmented. I mean, there's there's a few uh, outliers of super large, uh, super-sized agribusiness enterprises, but then there's a whole universe of highly fragmented operating companies on the production side of agriculture. Do you, um, do you see any consolidation in any specific sector that's occurring? And, and if so, uh, where, where are you sort of seeing that? There is a lot. There's over 10,000 food and ag companies that are in the value chain. Uh, where there's consolidation, um, obviously, uh, we've seen consolidation throughout the value chain, starting from the grocery store industry is now uh, starting to be more consolidated with Walmart and Kroger. And then the next step back from there, you you see whichever sector you're talking about, be it dairy processing to uh, citrus, uh, to meat companies, to uh, your your vegetable, uh, frozen or canned, those are all consolidating to match up with the consolidation that's occurred on the retail side and the efficiencies gained. So I'd say it's pretty much throughout all the sectors. We're speaking with Einar Knudsen, the founder and CEO of AGR Partners, and getting his views on various trends in the ag sector, as well as getting a better understanding of how his fund uh, uh, seeks opportunities. Einar, uh, as you review investments, and I know you must be reviewing many um, because the sector seems to be red hot, and as someone who's sitting on, on capital, uh, you, must, uh, you must be having a lot of uh, opportunities come your way. I'm wondering, what, what are the major risks in your investment considerations that you try to minimize, and, and how do you go about doing so? Yeah, that uh, you know, each sector and company is different. So, your there are sectors and companies that are at certain spots in the value chain that are back-to-back businesses that are volume-centric and price agnostic, and then there's others that are going to be price sensitive uh, and may not be able to pass on all of the price risk. Then you have operational risk, management risk, uh, safety, environmental, and uh, all your traditional risks that you would have with uh, manufacturing companies and and other businesses like that. When it comes to the uh, risk side of, of your businesses, are you are you actively involved in, in risk management? Um, and, and if so, what what uh, what parts of the of the business chain are you able to sort of um, uh, put sort of risk management policies in place, and and are your businesses uh, affected by weather related risk or are you more uh, midstream? Yeah, for us we're more midstream, um, and uh, you know, every company is different. But uh, I just came from a board meeting 
and uh, you know, there's a risk in that particular company. There's 600 plus employees, and there's a uh, audit committee, and uh, there's a merchandising team and managing the, the, the risk of the company and presenting to the board what's the what's the position and what are the position limits. And uh, then there's an actual risk officer that's presenting what uh, you know his list of 20 plus different risk items and how they are being managed. And if it's, for example, inventory and what's the insurance level and if it's credit insurance, what's the credit insurance level versus what are we taking the credit risk of. Um, so it it is extensive in these companies. Mm-hmm. Well, Einar, this is uh, this is all very interesting and, and, and helpful for for me and also for my relationships uh, that I share this with. You know, surely there was something that you thought I might have asked, but uh, but did not. Um, I'm wondering, is there anything in, that, uh, that you'd like to mention or or, or bring up while uh, while I have you on the call? I think uh, a good beginning. I think uh, back on the on the trends. I think you started the call. We never really talked about trends, but I just think if I go back in my family's history of being in the dairy industry for a hundred years, and my sister's still in the dairy industry uh, out in Texas, is that uh, I look at the history of that industry, and they did quite well when uh, it was the the middle of the century, and and the government was trying to promote more fluid milk consumption because they put vitamin D in, in milk to deal with rickets, and so that became a superfood. Uh, and I think that if you look at areas like salmon, as an example, and, and seafood, uh, that's an example right now. The government wants to double the amount of seafood consumption by uh, the U.S., uh, Consumers, because of the health benefits, and so it's it's really helpful to get wind at your back and find opportunities like that. And so um, I think that would answer your first question about trends and where we've spent some time recently, and and uh, kind of focusing on that in addition to my canary comments and black swan. So, yeah, I well, I would. I've been having more frequent conversations around aquaculture. Um, so confined shrimp, confined salmon uh, production. Curious to get your take on the the conversion of feed to protein. You know, I, you know, one of the things, recurring themes I've been hearing in aquaculture is how attractive it is as it relates to the cost of feed to getting to yield. Do um, you have any view on that? Yeah, I think the feed conversion is quite good um, on the aquaculture side, and uh, also it's important is to find the sustainable areas to have that produced. And so, the industries have sometimes had some issues with environmental sustainability, and then just bio biosecurity sustainability as far as density of of animals in an area. So we've chosen ourselves to uh, we've looked at that area and we're open to it uh, but so far we've found the opportunities on the wild catch side but I think the there are some developed 
and lower risk areas of aquaculture and some more venture capital areas. So there's kind of a opportunity for um, everybody in the spectrum of risk from venture capital to later stage growth um, within the sector. It's quite large and diverse. But I agree that we see it more and more and more interest because it's driven by the consumer trends. And uh, I think that's uh, a good area over the next uh, couple decades. Just to wrap up here, before we do so, another trend that I've been seeing sort of equal frequency of conversation is around the entire uh, uh, soil amendment, uh, microbials replacing synthetic chemical for fungicide and pesticide, um, plant nutrition. Um, just, just wondering if you've seen anything in that sector, uh, anything like that's come across your desk, and if you have a view on on whether or not we're sort of entering into an inflection point of improved plant nutrition, improved ability to service organic acreage with biopesticides and microbial solutions. Well, there's been a billion plus transactions in the area over the last five years, dozens of transactions. So I think it's been an area of a lot of interest from the majors and uh, companies in the industry, and then the investors from outside. So I would say that the farmer has numerous companies now providing them options, uh, alternatives for um, the area that you're talking about as far as soil to uh, more precision ag-oriented delivery of it liquid fertilizer or um, growth-enhancing natural products that will regulate a plant or insects, uh, et cetera. So I think it's it's an exciting area. Um, it's one of the reasons why our company relocated to Davis, California, was to be located closer to the university and these types of uh, innovations and thought leadership points that are happening and to, to be at the forefront of that. And uh, I think, you know, we've seen a billion dollars plus in transactions in that area in the last five years, and I think we'll continue to see more or more of that here on the horizon. What, it makes me think here, one more comment that I'd like to get from you and your thoughts are, a few years ago, organic production was a debate as to whether or not it was viable or, or simply a trend. You know, 1% of total acreage uh, in production is is organic for organic production. Do you, do you think that's still a debate, or do you think organic is, is here to stay as, as an asset class? Yeah, it's, it's here to stay, and it will continue. I think it might be, I don't know, you said 1%. I, I don't know what the number is, but I think it's 4-plus percent of the food uh, industry, and I think Europe is 8% plus, so I would expect us to continue on that trend where you have a, we really have a food products. Our food choices in the United States are so cheap relative to what most people spend in the world as a percentage of their paycheck on food. The U.S. spends so little on food. We could double our uh, cost of food, and it really doesn't move the needle relative to what the average person in the world spends on food. So be it 
organic or local or just better for you, the U.S. consumer is so willing to spend more money um, if they perceive the value to be there, be it real value or scientific value or just uh, some uh, value statement of how it's produced or where it comes from. Um, there's a, there's the capability for the U.S. consumer to spend a lot more money and still be uh, materially under the average person in the world and what they spend. So I'd say that organic will increase, as, as will every other form of expensive food. We'll have more expensive food that we all consume, would be my expectation. Einar, thank you very much for your views. I think this has been a great conversation. Um, I wish you good luck at the expo, and more importantly, I look forward to finding time for us to actually catch up in person. Uh, thank you, Ivan. Appreciate uh, this unique uh, and rare opportunity to do this uh, with you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and here's to next time.